I was uh, very excited last week when Pastor Sean sent me a text message asking me if I would do the message. Um, am I keeping up already, Norm? Yeah. Okay, it's <laughs> an auspicious start. Asking me if I'd do the message, and I was in Phoenix getting ready for an event, and in the middle of a raging cold, which you may hear the remnants of right now. So if he had heard my voice, he would have rescinded the invitation, so I didn't tell him I was sick. Uh, I just asked... Chris, if, uh, if we were open this weekend, she said she, uh, we were, so here I am, excited to be here. It's always great to uh, come back and see people that we know and meet, and meet the new folks that are here. And the one thing I've always uh, uh, learned in public speaking is if you want to ingratiate yourself to the audience, you always say something nice about their pastor. And, and so before the end of the message, I'll think of something. <laughs> so, so. So, well, I was going to make some Duck Dynasty jokes about his beard, but it's so well, you know, manicured. He's got it all cleaned up. He looks great. So, but today, today, let's, let's open in prayer, open in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. We thank you that this is the day that you have made and will rejoice and be glad in it. Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Have your way. Guide and direct and and just give us encouragement now through this message, dear God. And, and Lord, I pray people will be blessed by the word that you've given me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. The title of my message is Redeeming the Time. Redeeming the Time. Our main Bible verse will be Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. So the question that I will open with, and then the question that I will close with is, are we making good use of our time from God's perspective? Are we making good use of our time from God's perspective? Now you notice I have a lot of notes. I'm old school. I'd love to be able to figure out how to use a computer to deliver a message, but I'm always fearful that it'll stop working. The other reason I have notes is because... uh, as my wife will attest, is I have the attention span of a six-month Labrador retriever. <laughs> and if I don't have notes, then I can tend to get off, um, off path here. And if I do, uh, uh, the notes will bring me back. But this is an issue that God's been dealing with me on. Am I using my time wisely? And I'd like to uh, present a few thoughts that I came up with, and actually we have a Thursday night home fellowship, and I asked for their input on thoughts about time and the, and the way that we think about time. Because we say that time is short, there's never enough time, but we also say they have too much time in their hands. We kill time, we waste time, and we say it's about time. Time flies when you're having fun, and time drags when you're not. Time can be hard to keep track of. We ask, where did the time go? And the time got away from me. Will you look at the time? I don't want you to be doing that in the next 40 minutes or so. (laughs) Time is hard to hold on to because time slips away. Time's important because we say time is of the essence. Time's valuable because we tell people not to waste our time. We spend time, we save time, we try to gain time. And we're we're in a pinch, we try to buy time. In a business, we say time is money. Time is like a soldier that marches on. And it's impatient because it waits for no man. 
But something that's very important about time is time does not discriminate. Regardless of your age or your gender or your creed or your color, we all get 24 hours a day. So we're all equal when it comes to time. A couple quotes about time. How tragic it is to find that an entire lifetime is wasted in the pursuit of distractions while purpose is neglected. We're going to talk about that this morning, the purpose that we should have in our lives. Wasting time is actually doing things not for the glory of God, but for the glory of self. For it's written, so whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Will Rogers says, don't let yesterday use up too much of today. And what does the Bible say about worrying about too much about tomorrow? We need to focus on today. When the time comes for you to leave this earth, it doesn't become a, if it doesn't become a lesser place with your absence, then you've wasted your life. People going to miss us when we're gone? I think we hope so. Hope people miss us. Don't say you don't have enough time. We have exactly the same number of hours per day that were given to Helen Keller, Pasteur, Michelangelo, Mother Teresa, Leonardo da Vinci, Thomas Jefferson, Albert Einstein. We could go on. But we all have those 24 hours a day. Ephesians 5, 15 and 16. I'm going to read it in both the uh, New, King, New King James Version and also the New Living Translation. I've really begun to enjoy the New Living Translation. Verse 15, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Then in the New Living Translation, it's be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of of every opportunity in these evil days. See, redeeming the time here means to buy up for oneself. It's the idea of making a sacrifice for an opportunity and then quickly seizing it. It's using our opportunities to the utmost, most effectively. And then time here is a, I'm not big into the Greek words, but this is actually one that I might be able to pronounce. It's the word karios, K-A-R-I-O-S. It's not really hours or minutes. It's the idea of a measured or allotted or fixed season. What we're talking about here is our season, our time here on earth, the period of time that God has put us here. We're to redeem or buy up the time or the opportunities that we have been given from God. We're here at this time, in this place, by God's will. We're not here by mistake. In Esther 4.14, and this is Esther's uncle speaking with her, it says, you were born for a time such as this. He was convincing Esther to go before the king to make intercession for the Israelites, but to do so could put her life in jeopardy. But he was saying, maybe God put you here for that very purpose. Now, Despite my youthful appearance, I turned 60 in July. So um, time has a lot more meaning than it did when I was younger. 
And I know there's people in the audience going, 60? That's a long ways away. But it's not. Believe me, you're going to be there. (laughs) Thank you, brother. (laughs) So I know that I have more years behind me than I have ahead of me. And pastors are always teaching that we're in the end times, we're in the last days. I believe that. I don't know when that's going to be, but what I know for certain is I'm in my last days. I'm in my end times. But then again, so are you. You know, none of us is guaranteed tomorrow. Um, Our lives are short and unpredictable. About once a year, um, not for the gambling, I know you're judging, but I go to Vegas. And um, this year I did not go down in November like I normally do. But I think of Vegas when I think of our times are short and unpredictable. Because there are a lot of people that were at a concert that never dreamed that that was going to be their last day or their end times. So we don't know. In both Psalms and James, the word tells us that our life is a vapor. And in 1 Chronicles 29.15, we are here only for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. If you read Ecclesiastes, it's all about, man, we're here for a really short period of time. And a lot of what we do is just blowing in the wind. Job in 14.5 says, You have decided the length of our lives. You know how many months we will live We are not given a minute longer. So God already knows how long we're going to be here, whether it's very long or it's very short. Now, 60 doesn't sound like a big deal to you, but until my father, the oldest living male in my family, was 57. My grandfather died at 48. So the fact that next month my father will turn 91 is a big deal. So my brother and I, he's, uh, he just had a birthday. He's 64, and he's not nearly the physical specimen that I am. <laughs> but we were de- debating about who was going to follow Pop and make it to 91, and uh, we're not really <laughs> certain that either of us are going to make that long. But you don't know. You have no idea whether you're going to make it to 48 or to 91. But God has determined when we're going to be here, that's our season. He determined where we're going to be. He knew that we were going to be in Denver, Colorado at this time. And he determined how long we're going to be here. And in light of eternity, it's a really short period of time. So if we agree that we're here for a short period of time, how do we want to make the most of our time here on earth? What do we want our legacy to be? What do we want people to remember about us? Like you, I mean, we all have different roles in our lives. You know, I'm a father. I'm a very excited grandfather, which is a lot of fun. I'm a son. I'm a brother. I'm an employee. I'm a fellow Christian. I'm a runner, which I'll weave into our discussion today. And I'm a friend to a lot of people. And you fill so many different roles. And I saw this recently. And it made me think of it because the other night I was watching It's a Wonderful Life. And um, one of the things you see is on tombstones, you have a birth date and then a death date. 
And then in between that, you have the dash. And the dash is that time that we have here on earth. And so the question is asked, what do you want to do with your dash? That time between your start and your finish. Knowing that I'm in my last days, I want to finish strong. Um, As I enter this season of my life, I'm more thoughtful about the limited time that I have. In Hebrews 12.1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip away every weight that slows us down, especially sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. I joke that I always try to weave in, I love the verses on running because I'm a, a long-distance runner. And it was funny, the other day I was coming out of a meeting and a coworker was asking about how the training was going for my next big event. And someone who didn't know me quite so well looked at me and says, are you a runner? And I go, well, did you think power lifter? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, come on. I mean, what are you going to do with this body? I mean, when I was in high school, I tried to play football. Do you know... Uh, I was not very good. I know that will shock you. But um, at the awards banquet, you know, the coaches always have to just struggle to come up with something good to say about every kid on the team. And I knew my coach was going to really struggle with that and had to labor over that. And he, In front of the audience, he says, you know what? Scott may be small, but he's weak. Quick, quick. He's very quick. <laughs> so that was, I did not have a long football career. But as a runner, I know the importance of not carrying extra weight that will slow me down and try to uh, avoid being tripped up. A lot of what I do is on trail races, and Chris goes with me, and, and she's just wondering, where will the blood be coming from when I cross the finish line this time? This summer, was, uh, I ran a number of trail races, and I have a propensity for getting a little bit faster than my feet want to go and, and uh, leaving my DNA on a trail. And, um, but the thing that's amazing about it, it's not what you see that trips us up. It's not the big ones that you see coming. It's the small things in life that get us when we're feeling comfortable. This summer I did the Pikes Peak Marathon. And I was coming down, and there's parts that were very technical, and you have to really be careful. And at my age, you know, you always got to be careful. But there was what I thought was this smooth, steep section, and I was trying to redeem the time. I was trying to buy time, make up time, trying to gain time. And the next thing I know, I'm sliding down the mountain and tumbling and falling and getting all scraped up. And, and I didn't even see what I had tripped over. And as a matter of fact, there was one guy close to me, and he was mortified. Oh, that was a great wipeout. And, and he said, what did you hit? I said, I have no idea. I didn't see it coming. So I stood up, and he looks at me. He said, well, are you okay? And I said, well, I think so. I'm bleeding, but not a, you know, it's not a big deal. He said, well, we got eight miles to go. We better get running. <laughs> but that, the point is, from a spiritual aspect, we have to be careful of those things that weigh us down, those things that could trip us up, that so easily ensnare us. See, God uses every season of our life, and he understands that we have different responsibilities during different seasons of our lives. When you're young, it might be school, and then you get into your job, and then it's your family and your kids, and 
Then as we get a little bit older, it's the grandkids. And so many of us now are actually helping out with our parents. So God understands that we have different responsibilities in different stages of our life. And he doesn't put a guilt trip on us, but there should always be time to serve God. We should always have a little bit of time to give to the service of our Lord. We are created to serve God. Ephesians 2.10 says we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. As a Christian, if there's anything that really, from a spiritual aspect, that keeps me up at night is, am I doing the works that God prepared for me to do? Like many of you are very active in the church, and we always have to be concerned about, are we doing good at the expense of the best? Are we being led by the Holy Spirit in those works that God's prepared for us? Now, this is not really a message on works, but it's, Hard to talk about time without discussing works. James tells us that faith without works is dead. So the devoted Christian life will include works. God accomplishes his will through each one of us as his hands, his feet, his mouth, wherever God leads you to serve. An important concept is who's in charge? Who do we belong to? We belong to God and he requires two things that are very difficult for us to subscribe to. Submission and obedience. And hardly anybody is fans of these two words, but in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20 it says, Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So there are three terms when it comes to the Holy Spirit. We won't get into a discussion on the Holy Spirit, but God is with us and he's in us and he's upon us. And John 7.38 says, rivers of living water will flow through us. So we have to be subservient and obedient to God and allow him to work through us, through his Holy Spirit. Many of us have plans in our lives. I've been a goal setter all of my life, but if anybody in here has been a Christian for any length of time at all, you know that God can change your plans. Thank you. Proverbs 16.9 says, A man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. Psalms 37, 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. If you're walking according to God's directions, he will delight in your way. Jeremiah 18, 6 tells us that we're the clay in the hands of the potter. And we have to allow God to work with us because the clay does not really have the option of speaking back to the potter. Life's purpose. Life's purpose is a holy, consecrated life. If we're to redeem our time, our season, our opportunities, we have to uh, begin by living a holy, consecrated life. Now those are words that are not often used in the the church anymore, but in Leviticus 11.4 it says, For I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore consecrate 
Consecrate yourselves, and you shall be holy as I am holy. To be consecrated is just a big word that says we need to be set apart. We need to be set apart from this world for God. We're to live for him. But what does that look like? This means using our time, our hours, our minutes, our talents, the giftings that God gives everyone, our treasure, all of those to glorify God. And it begins at the very beginning in Genesis where it says that God created man. Why do I go back there? Because we have to have meaning and purpose in our lives. So we didn't involve by random, undirected mutations over millions of years. That's a fallacy. God created us in his image. He made us for himself and we belong to God to serve him. The idea of living a consecrated holy life is vital not only to ourselves and to our relationship with God, but to the world around us. We see the craziness that is going on in the world. And I came across this quote that says, the world judges our religion not by what the Bible says, but by how Christians live. So we might be the only Bible people are reading. And so when your unbelieving family members or coworkers read you, what impression do they get about Christianity? How are we different? How are we set apart from them and the rest of the world? Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So how do we transform ourselves? Well, this is where I know that I can say something good about your pastor. I've known Sean for years. The things I know about him is he's dedicated to the word of God. He's dedicated to being led of the Holy Spirit. He's dedicated to preaching the Word. I read a lot about the state and condition of the modern church today. And I read all the surveys that are done by George Barna. And to be frank, the modern day church is just really in bad shape. We're not following the Word anymore. We're not relying on leadership of the Holy Spirit. We're neglecting the most important activities in our church. Reading God's word, Bible study. Every survey says that even those who claim to be followers of Jesus Christ, we're not reading our Bibles on anything that even resembles a regular basis. We're not spending time in prayer. And when we do spend time in prayer, it's usually, wow, I really need something. God, help me out now. But we need to get in our closet. And to be there not only to praise God, uh, to ask him for things, but also to praise him, our supplications, our intercessions. And then abiding in the Holy Spirit, actually listening to God. Um, I actually had a, a, an acqu- a close acquaintance, actually, make a comment to me. We were discussing this very topic, and he says, Scott, I just don't think God really speaks to me. And so I asked him pretty Bluntly, well, how much time are you spending reading your word? He says, well, you know, at church we read the word. How much time are you spending in prayer? 
He doesn't spend much time in prayer. He doesn't have a prayer closet. George Barna had to come up with a term when he did a survey a number of years ago. He did a survey on the thoughts, how Christians think. And one of the questions was, what makes you a Christian? And for us, it should be a really simple answer. But George Barna had to carve out a special niche in his survey for what he called notional Christians. Notional Christians. Why? They didn't have a notion of what it meant to be a Christian. Their response was, well, my parents were Christians. They baptized me as a baby. I live in the United States. This is a Christian nation. I've been to church on Easter and Christmas. I'm a Christian. So I had this discussion with him a little bit about if you want to hear from God, you have to get into his word. You have to listen to him speak to you. These are activities that take time and effort. And I'm uh, confident that Pastor Sean addresses these these issues in your church. Another quote, where there is a lack of prayer and Bible study in one's personal life, there will also be a lack of holiness. We can't be holy if we're not talking to the source of our holiness. The Holy Spirit has to get a hold of us. So let me go to meddling now. That's the beauty of coming in and visiting. But next time Pastor Sean cleans up my mess and invites me back, you won't remember what I've said. But let's talk about how Americans use time and then see how each one of you compare. Video games. Now, I'm not casting dispersions, but when I came in, I saw six young boys all huddled over here with their really big smartphones, you know. But teen boys can spend up to 13 hours a week playing video games. Unfortunately, millennial men are spending a great deal of time also. I happen to, in my job, I work around, uh, the majority of the people I work around are women, and I work around a number of millennial women, and we were all having lunch together one day, and one gal, and I don't know if she just, I guess they ignore me now, the old guy, you know, they don't have to pay attention to him, he doesn't listen. Um, but they were discussing their significant others and frustrations they were having, and this one gal actually said, man, what do you do when your boyfriend comes home and he immediately fires up, you name the game system, and spends three or four or five hours until he gets ready to go to bed? So, you know, I have to bite my tongue in half because I'm not getting involved in this discussion. But they all have all these great ideas, and some of which I can't share in this audience, but um, they're good ideas. (laughs) But, um, But it's just sad that they're spending so much time with the, the video games. Smartphones. We spend up to five hours a day on our smartphones using various apps. Younger people a little more, older people a little less. But um, we touch our smartphones at least 85 times a day. You know, there are engineers that make their entire living doing nothing other than finding new ways to get us to play with our smartphones and make them indispensable, make us dependent on our smartphones. And I get it. I mean, I have a smartphone, and if I leave the house, and I'm two blocks down the street, i got to go back and get my smartphone. I could miss something. Somebody will call me or text me or whatever. But smartphones, social media, 
The average adult has five social media accounts and spends nearly two hours a day checking them. There's an estimated two billion Facebook accounts. Now, my wife, only half of those are her friends. So, There's 150 million smart chat accounts, not to mention Twitter and others. So I'll be honest with you, I was shamed into actually getting a Facebook account. I'm part of a running team. I actually have a team, and the team is based out of Phoenix. and That's why I end up down there periodically. But they do everything on Facebook. So I finally broke down, and I got a Facebook account. And so I only have nine friends, and um, eight of them are runners, and one of them is my wife. My kids are upset, and I won't even accept them as friends. But I learned a valuable lesson on Facebook that I really didn't understand. Um, you know, Pastor Ed Taylor at Calvary Aurora, he sent me a friend request, and I did not know how Facebook worked. So I thought, well, I can accept one more friend. Well, I didn't understand when I accepted Ed that 3,500 other people go, oh, Scott's friends with Ed. <laughs> so over the course of like two or three weeks, I got almost 400 friend requests. And then I spent the next two months explaining to people why I wasn't accepting their friend. No, I don't want you as my friend. <laughs> I have a limited purpose Facebook account. It's to talk to my running buddies down in Phoenix, and that's all I want it for. I don't want 400 people knowing what I'm doing all the time, and I'm not going to take pictures of my food and my <laughs> beverage. I mean, <sighs> yikes. So, but yeah, I look on there and people have, you know, four and five hundred friends. You barely have ten good acquaintances. And you're sharing your life with all those people. TV. The average adult spends four to five hours a day watching TV. Me and I tell you, they give me a really hard time at, at work. Because honestly, I, you know, if I watch TV, it's generally a sporting event. You know, I watch the world's greatest football team, the Ohio State Buckeyes, when they're on. But anyway, but the point is, I'm left out of the conversations at work because I've never seen the Game of Thrones. I've seen momentarily Big Brother. We don't watch Survivor, none of the talent shows. So that's what all the discussion is, you know, during the week at the lunches, you know, what happened on all those shows. I mean, they were giving me a hard time because our, uh, my company owns a box at the Pepsi Center and we get tickets to the concerts. And um, everybody's all excited because we had tickets to Adele. And they said, Scott, are you going to get your share of the tickets to Adele? I go, who is that? <laughs> okay, go, man, you are old. <laughs> it's not an age thing. It's where do you spend your time? So I went on you know, YouTube, and I still don't know who she is. So I don't even want to go into the time we spend on our jobs or our hobbies. I mean, these are the reason I'm doing this message is because this is an area that God's dealing with me on, is, is how am I spending my time? Because I have a very time-intensive uh, job. I spend a lot of hours at work, and preparing for the distances that I run take up a lot of time. And so I'm cognizant of how I'm using my time. And because... Um, we all have to be aware because we're only given so much time. We're busy people in a busy society. And I'm going to read this, um, and I'm sure that you've heard this, this particular song. 
It's called Breathe by Johnny Diaz. Now, usually when I listen to Christian radio and I listen to Christian music, you know, I, I hear it, but I don't hear it. You know, I'm driving. I don't really catch the words, but this one really hit home. It begins with alarm clock screaming, bare, hit, bare feet hit the floor. It's off to the races, everybody out the door. I'm feeling like I'm falling behind. It's a crazy life. 90 miles an hour going fast as I can, trying to push a little harder, trying to get the upper hand. So much to do, so little time, it's a crazy life. It's ready, set, go, it's another wild day. When the stress is on the rise in my heart, I feel you say, just breathe. Come and rest at my feet and be, just be. Chaos calls, but all you really need is to breathe. Third cup of Joe, just to get me through the day. Want to make the most of time, but I feel it slip away. I wonder if there's something more to this crazy life. I'm busy, 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 and it's no surprise to see that I only have time for me, me, me. There's got to be something more to this crazy life. I'm hanging on tight to another wild day when it starts to fall apart in my heart. I hear you say, just breathe. Is to take it in, fill your lungs, the peace of God that overcomes, just breathe. Let your weary spirits rest. Lay down what's good and find what's best. Just breathe. Man, we're all busy. Life is busy. But we have to remember to redeem our time. First Peter 17 says, And remember that the heavenly Father to whom you pray has no favorites. He will judge or reward you according to what you do. So you must live in reverent fear of him during your time as foreigners in the land. See, we're aliens here on earth. We're an occupying force. We're to be about our father's business while we're here. So I started, I began my message with, how are you going to use your time? How are you going to use your season? your opportunities to serve and to glorify God. And I'll close with this last quote. The bad news is time flies. The good news is you're the pilot. Heavenly Father, let's pray. Dear God, we come before you in Jesus' name, thanking you and glorifying you for our time. Lord, we thank you that you're using us and that you put us here at this time and in this place for your purpose. I pray, dear God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, you'll overcome each one of us. And we'll have a new dedication to reading your word, studying your word. We'll have a new dedication to giving you time in prayer for ourselves, but for others. Lord, we'll spend time at your feet listening to you, listening to that still, small voice, listening for your guidance and your direction, being willing, dear God, to be obedient, to be submissive, to be used by you as you will for your purposes. 
thank you for the time and the talent and the treasures that you bestowed upon each one of us. Now let, them give, let us give them back to you. In Jesus' name, amen.